It's good to be together with you, worshiping our great God and King, and um, I'm rejoicing with you since the last time I was here, you've announced that you've got a senior pastor coming to be with you, and that's fantastic. Um, excited for you in that and grateful for God's provision, and pray that, uh, that your relationship with, uh, with the Nicosias will just be joyful and fruitful and long-lasting, so I'm really, really happy for you. It's a pleasure to be able to be back with you uh, today and next Sunday as well. Um, as Ryan mentioned, we're going to um, initiate this morning a short series in 2 Thessalonians. It's a wonderful uh, little letter. Uh, the title of the series is Standing Firm Until the Lord Returns. And in these three chapters, uh, there's a series of really sweet prayers, kind of uh, benediction-type prayers. And so I really want to encourage you as you read through this to to Take note of those and, and lay hold of those. Um, what we're going to do uh, the next two weeks is we're going to go through chapter one, but I'm going to do kind of the, the, the brackets this morning. I'm going to do the beginning and the end of the chapter. The middle of the chapter is about the Lord's return, and so we're going to focus on that next week. So this morning we're doing uh, chapter one, verses one to four, and then the last two verses, 11 to 12. So follow along with me, please, in your Bibles as I read from 2 Thessalonians Chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in, all, in, in the afflictions that you are enduring. And then down to verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's, let's pray. Lord, whatever is going on here this morning, we want it to culminate in the name of our Lord Jesus being glorified. So that's our prayer. Spirit of God, I pray that you would dazzle this church and this preacher with Jesus this morning. Thrill us with the glories of the triune God. Capture our affections and our hearts with God the creator, God the redeemer, God of, our, of this church. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let's think a little bit about this letter, 2 Thessalonians. Why spend time in this letter? Well, this is a church that's under pressure. There's pressure coming to it from outside, and there's pressure emerging from inside. So the situation is, as this church has gotten started, they immediately experienced persecution and opposition in their city. I'll tell you more about that in a, in a, in a moment. But also, inside, there was trouble. And um, 
If you read the two letters, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, you find that the topic of the Lord's return was a big one for them, and they were trying to understand what was happening, and it seems as though some believed that the Lord's return in that judgment day, the, 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 the um, ultimate day, the day of the Lord, had already happened somehow, and so somehow they'd missed it. They'd gotten left behind or something like that, and so they were worried about that and wondering about that. So without going into all the details of that, Here's just a little snapshot into life in church. Life in church in the New Testament is just like life in church today. It can often be filled with trouble, right? So there can be trouble outside and there can be trouble inside. Now, we might hope that church would just be this blissful experience of angels singing and endless smiling and we're all getting along perfectly on our way to heaven. And that's Maybe, is that how it goes in here for you guys? I don't know. That's not how it goes for me. Church can be filled with trouble, right? And, and it's helpful to read our New Testaments with our eyes open and realize that's what church life was like then, and so we shouldn't be surprised if church life is like that now. Trouble without and trouble within. The reality is, for the church in North America and the church in the West, we're actually growing increasingly sort of aligned with what the churches were experiencing in the New Testament. For many centuries, churches in the West have been in cultures that have been very sympathetic to and resonant with the basic values of the Bible. Not everybody's a Christian, but the basic understanding of life, a sort of a Ten Commandments framework of life, there is a God, there's a God who holds people accountable. There are right ways to live in, in, in certain ways as laid out in the Ten Commandments, an understanding of anthropology of, of people in terms of gender and sexuality, things like that. We've experienced sort of historically an anomaly, an unusual sense of, of, of being fairly in step with the culture in those ways relative to what people experience in North Korea or Pakistan or parts of Nigeria or have experienced in Thessalonica in the first century. The Christians there were out of step with their culture. How can Jesus be Lord if Caesar's already Lord? How can there be only one God when this is a culture that's used to worshiping a pantheon of, of gods? So increasingly, our experience is actually going to resemble and reflect if our culture keeps going the way it is, you're going to find your New Testament is going to make more and more sense to you. It's going to be more and more like the experience that, that you're having. So we don't need to fear what's happening in the culture. We also need to expect that churches, at best, are filled with redeemed sinners, right? That's what Fairfax Bible Church is filled with, right? Redeemed sinners. And so we have the Spirit of God. That's wonderful. And yet we still have remaining sin working in us. And we have this enemy who wants to destroy us. And so we can expect that trouble is going to arise in church too. So... It's helpful to know and have realistic expectations. A healthy church is not a church with no problems. That's not a healthy church. That's actually a non-existent church. But a healthy church is, is a church where problems are responded to quickly, not by running away to a new church or by creating a bubble to hide ourselves from the culture, but by engaging what we experience with God's word and God's grace by God's spirit so that we can be a people 
who create an alternative culture to the culture that we're living in and a compelling alternative to the culture that we're living in. We want to stand firm and hold fast and be immovable in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we see in this second letter to the Thessalonian church. Sort of, hey, stick together, hang on to Christ, and keep living this way until he returns. So the question I'm going to just pose this morning is this. How can you help your church stand firm until the Lord returns? That could be tomorrow. That could be 2,000 years from tomorrow. We don't know. But how can we be churches that stand firm until the Lord returns? What could that look like for us? So just three simple points this morning. First is this. Talk about God. Talk to your church about God. This is where Paul starts. Look what he does in verses 1 and 2. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, so just introducing himself. He says, To the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a typical greeting to a a New Testament letter, and, and, and these greetings were similar to letters that were being written in the first century and other contexts as well. So is it just sort of a throwaway, like, you know, dear, dear mom? Um, so, okay, we kind of got this grace and peace out of the way and, you know, to this church. And so we've, we've identified who the author is and who the recipients are. Now let's move on to the good stuff. But I want you just to slow down. We, we could camp out in a bunch of places here. We're going to just camp out um, in, in a couple of, couple of words here. He says, to the church, we're going to camp out there, of the Thessalonians in God. We're going to camp out there too. So let's talk about church for a moment. We're gathered here, Fairfax Bible Church, right? So you're, you're a church. What, what comes to mind when you hear the word church? The, the Greek word here is ekklesia. It was a word that was in use in the, in the first century. It wasn't unique to Christians to use that word. It was used in that city, where they were assembling for different kinds of assemblies. And so citizens might be called out to an assembly for a political council to make decisions. Soldiers might be called out to service or to battle. And so an ecclesia is a group of called out people. What does it mean for Christians to be an ecclesia, a called out people? I want to just read to you just a, a, a little bit of the background of how this church got started. I'm going to go to Um, Acts 17, just listen to the first uh, four verses. Here's the account of how this church got started. When they'd passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, so for three weeks, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, This Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But there were Jewish people, probably particularly Jewish leaders in the city, who were jealous. And so what they did was they formed a mob. They went to the house, Jason's house, where Paul and his his, uh, team were staying, and they were trying to find them so, so they, could, they could beat them, kill them, who knows what, what, what they were going to do. Paul and the rest uh, weren't there. And um, so they ended up, uh, after this sort of riot uh, where, where Jason was apprehended and hauled before city authorities, Paul uh, and Silas and Timothy, the others that were, were with him, left and, and, and moved on. 
uh, to another city. They went to Berea. So as soon as this church gets started, there's trouble. People hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and two things happen. Some people come to faith in Christ. This Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. And the word gets out, and people start coming to faith in Jesus. And through this, a, a group begins to gather, and that gathering becomes something that's never happened in that city before. A church is born. Just like this uh, wonderful video from the Coxes. They're working with people. Did you catch that line? They, they, they had an experience where they brought a believer, and this believer had, had an encounter with another uh, North African believer for the first time. Can you imagine what that was like to be there, to see a Christian encounter another Christian from his or her own country for the first time? That's the privilege of pioneer missions. That's what's happening here in Thessalonica for the first time. A miracle has occurred. People are born again into a new kingdom, and those people begin to assemble and gather together in, 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 in groups with Christ as the head and that group of people as the body. That's all going on. So when we gather together as this assembly, we can only do this because a miracle has occurred. We've been born again and called out from the world into his glorious light. So this is a, this is a, a, a cause for resurrection joy every time we gather because we're celebrating the risen Christ who's become our Lord. That's what, that's what it means to be a church. No other assembly like it. And, and what about this church of, of the Thessalonians that's in God? This always surprises me when I read this. We expect to read the church of God in Thessalonica. That's what I expect to read. But that's not what it says. You see what it says? It says it's the church of the Thessalonians in God. What does that mean? You know, when I think about my church, Redeeming Grace Church, if somebody says, well, tell me about your church. Where, where, where is your church? Well, well I, would, I would say, well, you know, our church is at 5200 Ox Road. Where is Fairfax Bible Church? Well, it's at Catherine Johnson Middle School. We're thinking about location here. But I want you to think about what, 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 what Paul is communicating, what the Spirit is, is giving us here this morning. Think about what's happening right now. In our city, there are all kinds of assemblies, right? People have assembled for what? For brunch. People are assembling for soccer games. People are assembling online for Fortnite games. People are assembling for birthday parties. There's all kinds of assemblies going on, but there's only one kind of assembly going on that's unique in that it's an assembly that's not just in Fairfax, it's in God. When God's people gather in congregations like this throughout our city, throughout our county, throughout our, our, our region, you are a people assembling in God. Do you want to know what your location is? How can, we, how can we find the pin on the map? You are located in God. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Isn't that amazing? How did that happen? Amazing grace. So your location... Sure, tell them where Catherine Johnson Middle School is, but don't forget your location isn't just meeting at this school. Your location is you are now located in a new kingdom, the kingdom of the living God. 
And, and so this makes church wonderful. This makes our assemblies amazing. And unlike anything else that happens in our week and anything else that happens in the world, when God's people gather together, we are assembling in God. So what's your vision for the church? What goes on in your heart when you think about church? Maybe church is something your parents do. I grew up going to church and I just saw it as a social thing that as soon as I could get out of doing, I did. I had no interest in it. And then something happened. One of my friends, my best friend, told me that he'd started going to church and he started talking to me about Jesus and he told me that he'd become a Christian and I had no idea what he was talking about. And he brought me up to this little gathering in a community college meeting on a Sunday night. So I'd work at Jack in the Box making hamburgers all day Sunday. I'd rub the grease, scrape the grease off my arms and get in my little 1964 Rambler and drive up the hill to the College of San Mateo. And you know what happened when I walked in there? I began to experience through the preaching of the word, the singing of the, of, of the songs and the fellowship of the saints, I began to experience the living God in a way that I'd never experienced before. And through that, God drew me to him. And the gospel that was being preached there, I responded to. And I became a Christian. And through that, and then a, a, a Baptist church near our uh, university, where Leslie and I uh, began attending while we were dating and then after we were married, I fell in love with the church. Because it's the only assembly where we can assemble and experience and be in God. The church is People assembled by God to worship God and fellowship in the Spirit and be on mission with the good news of Christ. I love this advice that was given to a young man, John Wesley, who ended up founding the Methodist movement. He said, Sir, you wish to serve God and go to heaven? Remember that you cannot serve him alone. You must, therefore, find companions or make them. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. We're an assembly. And what a blessing in the context of this pandemic, which seems to be receding. I hope it's, well, I hope it's more than a lull, but whatever it is, we're together in person this morning. When I preached this message, the first time I'll show you a picture later, um, two years ago when I preached this, we, I was preaching to a camera because we couldn't, couldn't assemble. So what a blessing. Let's, let's seize this moment to assemble as much as we can with all the joy of being able to be together in God's presence. So church is people gathering by the grace of God as a new society, a new community, a part of a new creation. And so I want to remind you this morning about what God has done. And one of the things we can encourage one another and remind one another as we go through life is that we, we want to remind one another that when we get together, the most important person in our meeting is God, right? He's the, one, he's the author and perfecter of our faith. So we want to talk to each other about God and, and, and what he's up to. You're the church of God in, you're the church of Thessalonians in, in God. And we could do similar things with grace and peace and God our Father and so on. Let's move on to verses three and four though. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. 
This church was a church, a gathered group of believers for maybe a few weeks or at most a few months before Paul had to leave. So you're, as a, you as a church, you can probably appreciate the challenge of that more than most, having gone this extended period of time without a senior pastor. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in, in a startup environment where there are no other Christians? Nobody's ever heard the gospel before. This guy comes into town. He starts making disciples and preaching. A bunch of you come to faith, and it's wonderful and amazing and glorious. And then after maybe two or three months, he has to leave. Now what happens? Wow, that's a challenge. And so... Part of the design behind these two letters is to, is to try to strengthen and encourage this group of young believers. There, there's no senior pastor there. There's no experienced Christian there. It's a bunch of brand new believers. So Paul's writing back to try to encourage and, 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 and stir them up. He longed to be with them, but it was, he was simply unable to return. So he sends this letter instead. These brand new Christians, they are... They're in a very difficult environment, very uh, uh, difficult uh, uh, cultural experience because they're being persecuted and, and, and oppressed from, from the get-go. And you know what's happening in the midst of that? Because the Holy Spirit of God has come to live in them, because they've been born again to a living hope, they're growing in the midst of all that difficulty. Their faith is increasing and their love is increasing. He says, you're... We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers. And I, let me just pause here. I, I love that he does that, and I find when I read through these letters, I'm consistently brought up short by that. When I pray, do, is the first thing I do for my church, the people that I'm in relationship with, the believers, is to give thanks for them. I can be so aware of needs and so aware of shortcomings and needs to change, in my opinion at least. And, and, and so I can find my prayers can flow out of that. But I love that he starts with this, we ought always to give thanks for you. And then he, I love how he catches them doing something right. He observes the, the growth in them. He says, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Your faith is growing. Let's think about that. Sometimes people talk about faith. Oh, well, you're a person of faith. Well, my faith really helped me with this. And faith can sort of be like a thing that you could sort of get off a shelf somewhere. And some people maybe got a bigger version of it than others. Maybe some people didn't get any of it at all. But, but that's not the kind of faith that's in view here. The kind of faith that's in view here is, is a relationship of trust. There's, another, there's a person on the other side of that faith. There's an object to that faith. You can't just have faith and live the Christian life. You have to have a trusting relationship with the living and saving God. That's what enables us to live the Christian life. And so he's looking at them and he's seeing that their confidence in God is growing. Their trust in God is growing. Their steadfastness in God is increasing. And you know what he does? He tells them. I love that he does that. And then he says, and your love for one another is increasing. They're passing the test of persecution. Sometimes when there's pressure on a church, there can be a temptation to sort of just pull apart a little bit. Just separate a little bit. It'll make it easier. You'll get a little less pressure if you're not seen at that person's house, if you're not seen on the web affiliated with, with this, this person. But under pressure, they're leaning into one another. 
They're more committed to one another. They're more concerned for one another, not less. And so the good news of Jesus Christ that we sang about this morning, that he died and rose again, that we can be forgiven and born again and made new and filled with the Holy Spirit, means that there's a new life inside every believer and inside a congregation of believers. And so we expect growth can happen. Growth in faith, growth in love. These are signs of God's presence, signs that they're the church in God. God's, the work and, and, and life of God is at work among them. So maybe just pause. Whose faith do you see growing? And just think about the people that are sitting around you, people in your small group, people in your family, people that you're, 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 you're connected with. Whose love for the saints is increasing? Where have you seen that on display in the last week or two? Here the Holy Spirit is giving us this wonderful example of of. When you see someone growing, encourage them, right? We just thrive on encouragement, don't we? And, and, and so, and I'll tell you, I, I can get discouraged. I can get weary. I can get downcast. I can sort of lose my, lose my way. And I'm so grateful for community. I desperately need community. So thankful for my wife of almost 40 years and her partnership in the gospel. She's faithful to preach the good news to me and encourage me where she sees things to encourage. So grateful for my friends in our, in our community group. I'm so grateful for the people in the Saturday morning prayer group who always pray for me when I'm preaching and then tell me that they've prayed for me. They leave me a little piece of paper after they've prayed saying, we prayed for you this morning for the sermon. I, I just, that kind of encouragement is wind in my sails. And I want to be that kind of person with other Christians too. Just as, you know, as an example, it can be challenging to figure out how to do this. But so, so let us thank God that we're not in this place. But two years ago when I was preaching this message, I tried to encourage the church. People needed to get married in the midst of a pandemic. And so got a, here's, a, here's a picture of um, the, the, the wedding of, of this one couple, Eric and Abby. They, nobody could be in their presence because of COVID, so they got married standing out in a field with two other people there, and then they came down to the parking lot, and everybody in their cars waved to them and encouraged them. You guys probably did stuff like that too, right? Similarly, a lady had graduated, got her master's degree in counseling, and so she was in our community group, so we went out and socially distanced either people in their cars or out on the, the street. What, were, what are we doing here? You're probably doing this in all kinds of different ways. But we were just trying to say, even in the midst of a pandemic, let's find ways to encourage one another. So let me take a moment and encourage you. I've had the chance to interact with you over a number of, of months. I can't remember exactly how, how long now since I got to first come and speak. But when I first came, you'd been waiting for a senior pastor for a long time. I think that was last fall. And yet every experience that I've had with you, there's joy, there's faith there's a there's a delight in just being God's people and I can see that your identity and your hope isn't built in we can't really be a church until we have a senior pastor because you know you're a church in God and I've been so encouraged about that in you and I'm grateful for the grace that I see in that and the way that you responded to that test growing in love for one another and and faith to God so it's a privilege to be able to be here with you. And how, so how can you help your church stand firm until the Lord returns? Well, tell them what you see in them. Point out the grace of God in their lives. And then finally, 
How can you help your church stand firm until the Lord returns? Well, talk to God about them. So we want to talk to, talk to them about God, talk to them about them, and then we want to pray. We want to talk to God about them. Now, I don't know about you, but I can have this experience when I go to pray for someone, and it can be someone that I'm really close to, like someone like my wife, another Christian, and I can just, Lord, I pray that you bless Leslie today and, and just help her and, and show her your grace, and I can just find I can just sort of run out of gas really fast. Now, some of you have a, a grace in prayer that far exceeds mine, and you may be scratching your head saying, well, that's weird, sorry that you're like that, I don't have that problem. But I have that problem. And so I really benefit from prepackaged prayers, right? I benefit when God gives me prayers to pray. The Psalms are amazing, 150 chapters of them. Here is one of the best prayers anywhere in Scripture. You can pray this prayer for any Christian, any time. Are you ready? Listen to this. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling, that's first, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, that's second, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, that's third, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So just think about this prayer. May God make you worthy of his calling. What does that mean? What does it mean to be worthy of his calling? Well, remember, we were, were an assembly, right? That word ecclesia, it means called out once. Called out kingdom of darkness into his glorious light. And so God called us, actually not just in the real-time experience that we had when we heard the gospel and responded, as I just told you about in my life, but if we read... Ephesians, we read other places in Scripture, Romans 8, we discover that God's calling was initiated even before time began. And those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be something. I wonder what that could be. I wonder what every Christian has been predestined to be. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Romans 8, 29. So what does it mean to be worthy of his calling? Well, it means to be conformed increasingly into the image of Christ. I want you to hear, he's not saying, I pray that you would be worthy to be called, as though you can generate enough goodness and righteousness and godliness so that God might call you, so that you might qualify to become a Christian. No, it's the other way around. He says, I, I, I pray that you might be worthy, that God might make you worthy of the calling that you've already received. In other words, you have become justified, accepted by God, welcomed in his kingdom, called by the name of his son. Now, I pray that you might live like that, right? That you might become what you already are, what you are in standing and status I pray that you'll become in character, in thinking, in words, in behavior. So he's, he's praying that, that they'll come to know Jesus more and obey Jesus more and love Jesus more and proclaim Jesus more to others, that they'll be like Christ. And this is something you can pray for yourself. 
This is something you can pray for your church. This is something you can pray for our church. Please pray for our church this way. This is something you can pray for any Christian you know. God, I pray that they would be, you would make them worthy of your calling. Called into his kingdom. Becoming more and more like Christ. So that on the last day, when we give account for how we've invested the talents Christ has entrusted to us, oh, may on that day we hear, well done. Good and faithful servants. So may God make you worthy of his calling. And second, may God fulfill your every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. I, I love this. Think for a moment. Apart from Christ, what would you resolve? What would you be about? What would you be looking for? What would you be after? Prior to conversion, I, I did some good things and I did some really evil and immoral things, but even the good things that I did ultimately flowed out of a heart that was self-centered and self-exalting. So they weren't really good. They were all self-serving. But when someone comes to Christ, when you turn to Christ, when you leave your idols and come and serve the living God, the gospel takes root and we begin to be transformed from the inside out and the very desires and motives of our lives, the course of our lives, begins to change. And so we begin to develop resolutions, desires, plans, hopes, dreams that are new and different because we're no longer living for ourselves but for Christ who died and was raised. So with Christ as Lord and with the Spirit's power and with the Word reshaping our minds and our affections, we develop these new ambitions. So let's just pause for a moment this morning. Like, what are you ambitious about? What are you hoping for? What are your desires? What are the I wants in your life? What, what are you resolved to do with your life, <clears throat> with your Sunday afternoon, or with your resources and time? And this church is filled with hundreds and thousands of wonderful resolves for the kingdom of God. You know, maybe there's someone here who you're in a relationship that's grown cold and you're the one that re is resolving to make that first move to try to bring peace. Maybe there's a teen here that's resolving to reach out to that teen who's kind of awkward and uncomfortable to be around and ends up by his, uh, himself or herself. Maybe, maybe you're resolving in the midst of working for a boss that's just brutal that you're going to pray for him and love him. Maybe you're the kind of church that resolves to send some people to North Africa for a year so the people who've never heard about Jesus Christ might have a chance to do that and then to be connected with, with others. What are the resolutions for good you see and hear from your brothers and sisters? Catch those when they come out. Grab a hold of those things. Encourage them. That's a good resolution. And I'm going to pray with you that God would fulfill that resolve for good. And if that isn't exactly what God has in mind, that God's going to work in you to to. Uh, to, to, to maneuver that resolve into exactly what will bring God glory and good to neighbor. It's a wonderful way we can pray. We can pray that God would...
make us worthy of his calling. God will fulfill every resolution for good to the end that the name of Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. You know, whatever progress we make, whether whatever love and hope are growing and increasing amongst us, it's only by grace and it's all for his glory. It's only by the Spirit's power and it's all to the praise of his glorious grace. And so we say at the end of this prayer, in effect, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. So this is a passage that can wonderfully shape a church. How could this passage shape a church like this one is? I hope it's shaping our church at home. Well, this can shape us to be an assembly where we regularly remind one another of, God, of what God is up to, a God-centered assembly. This can be an assembly where we encourage one another about what God is doing in you as you grow in faith, in love, in the character of Christ. This passage can help shape us to be an assembly where we always pray for one another and pray that we might see these resolves, these resolutions for good fulfilled and, and pray that um, God might make us increasingly like Christ, growing into be, becoming what we already are in our status with him. This, this passage can, can shape a church so that the aroma of Christ is strong whenever it gathers and Christ is greatly honored in, in all that it's up to. And I know this is the kind of church that you seek to be. I see many evidences of this kind of church and flavor here right now. And may this, may this passage of Scripture simply strengthen you to stand firm until the Lord returns. So let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that we can assemble in God. What a miracle. We who are not a people have become the people of God. Lord, why are we here this morning and not out on a soccer field somewhere or at a restaurant somewhere or doing something else that's fun but ultimately fleeting because it's all temporary and all for us? Why are we here this morning? Thank you for calling us. Thank you for sending your son for us. Thank you for opening our eyes to the gospel. Thank you for preserving this church steadfast through already many trials dangers and snares. And I pray this passage of scripture would greatly hearten and encourage this church and enable this church to continue to stand firm till the Lord returns. In Jesus' name, amen.